Thanks, Roger. Once again, I thank you for the cross. And we sing that, and we mean it, um, and really the, the sermon this morning as it leads us into communion is focusing on the cross. Because without the cross, there's no forgiveness, there's no redemption, there's no reconciliation. We are lost, and we'll be like what the Bible says, all like sheep who have gone astray. And there'll be no shepherd that brings us back. Without the cross... Um, we're we're doomed. With the cross, we're free and there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Without it, we're condemned. So we all need the cross and we can all say thank you for the cross. And hopefully, uh, after we've gone through this, it'll just give us not necessarily fresh insight, most of you will know this story I'm going to say, um, but just a comparison to a sacrifice that in the end wasn't made to a sacrifice that in the end it was. Um, and the pain and the anguish which then leads us to respond in the only way uh, we can. Once again, I pour out my life. Nothing. It has to get to a point where nothing, there is nothing I wouldn't do for God once I realise what he did for me on the cross. And to lead us in today, I'm going to read uh, from Genesis chapter 22, 1 to 19. This is the account of Abraham. Abraham's his chosen person. He's going to form a nation and everything else that's going on. Really exciting. And then God asked him to do something which for us in here would be impossible. We're in Genesis uh, chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 1 to 19. And it's entitled in my Bible here, Abraham's Faith Tested. We all know what it's like to have our faith tested. Um, And him and Isaac are going on this journey. Isaac's not too sure why. Abraham knows why. So let's read this account and then we're going to go through it and lead us into communion. So Genesis chapter 22 verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Imagine hearing those words. Here I am. Go and sacrifice your son to me. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As far as he knew, he's placing the wood that was going to help sacrifice his son on his son's shoulders. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. 
Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the servants and travelled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Ever feel God's asked you to do something that you really don't want to do? Or read something in the Word that you wish wasn't there because it's too hard to follow? Or it's cost you, whether it's career, family, relationship? but you know you've got to do it because it's of God. And sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's painful. All of us as Christians in this room will know testing times. Um, Jesus says, doesn't he, uh, later on, if you put these words of mine into practice, it's like you're building a house on firm foundations. But if not, if you're going to take them flippantly and not build your faith on the truth, then when trouble comes, you're going to crumble because you're not standing on my word. We all know these testing times and and really it's in those times we have to put God first. I don't know about you but, and it may be something about my dodgy spirituality but I feel closer to God when things aren't going well. Uh, Probably because I call out to him more and and I think that's probably true for many people. It's true for non-Christians. You know, I've met many non-Christians. I make it my business to be around non-Christians not only to know you, as wonderful as you are um, I meet loads of them and I can tell you some of the hardened, some of the most wealthy, uh, some of the most people that you think have got it all worked out behind closed doors, they come to me and when things are not good, they say, say a prayer for me, I've been praying. They're not even believers. Yet somehow there's something in them, uh, a God-shaped hole that means that they've got to worship something and they worship uh, not him, they worship all these other things. And when trouble hits, all of a sudden the prayer life goes up. Purpose of this account, what is it? Verse 1 gives the answer, you'll see it there. God is testing Abraham. He's testing him. God is testing Abraham. He's testing his faith. I think when things go wrong in my life, if I can see that as a test, how am I going to respond to this rather than woe is me and isn't life in the world bad and it's all everybody else's fault and not mine? If I can see sometimes actually God might be using it to test me and challenge me, I can take it with much more vigour and faith. What's the purpose of this account? Verse 1, God is testing Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He calls him and Abraham answers, Here I am. And we know there's another account in the Bible, isn't there? There's lots of them, but a famous one in the book of Job where uh, he's tested. And we get to see behind the scenes. We know Satan is trying to convince God that Job won't stand up to all the, all the stuff that could be thrown at him. But there's no Satan in this account. This is all God. Abraham is not offered an explanation like we get in Job. 
He does not have the information like Job that we have, the reader has now. For all Abraham knew, he was sacrificing his son. And, and I, you know, in my life, there's things that happen and I question them. And I bet you do too, in your lives. And you don't always get your answers, uh, sorry, your questions answered, or certainly not in the way that you might want them. But in all situations, we have to say it's God first. It's God first, even when I don't understand. And the central, heartbreaking, unbelievable, gut-wrenching reality in this passage is that God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his long-awaited son, who God himself had promised him. As you read the account, the journey Abraham was on highlights in in any father or mother's uh, scenario a sickening mountain intensity. An anticipation. He was the only one who knew, him and God. An anticipation of the dreaded event to come. We don't know, we're not told what the psychological state of Abraham was at that time, but I would imagine it wasn't good. And as the story carries on, the anticipation is heightened. When the point comes from the servants to be left behind with the donkey, and in verse 5, you'll see it there, Abraham and Isaac are all that's left. They're now going alone. It's just those two. And you can, if you put yourself into that situation, uh, you'd feel the tension. If you could enter into it, if you, if, you know, when you go home and read this, close your eyes and put yourself in that scenario, the tension. I wonder at what point did Isaac think, this something's not right here. And he begins to have his doubts. And in the final stage, it's recounted with methodical slowness. Nothing is said of the thoughts of the father or the son on their journey, but then Isaac speaks, probably breaking a long silence. Verse 7, Father. And it will be a voice of love and trust. Father. He waits for Abraham's reply before asking the question that we now know is inevitable. Verse 7, Father, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And can you imagine what, what Abraham must have been feeling at that time as he hears the question, the agony of knowing what's to come? As a father, every natural instinct in his body is there, protect, there to protect his son, to nurture him, to nourish him, to save him from danger. So the pain and the anguish, he's been asked to do the impossible. And he answers, and it must have tortured him, verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I can't imagine, and I hope I'm never put in that kind of uh, stress and tension. And then the moment comes, because he's going to do it. Abraham is putting God first. This is a real test to me, and I'm sure it is to you. But thankfully, verse 12 is in there, and we know the story. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Can you imagine Abraham's relief when he hears that? He was going to see it through. Against every natural instinct in his body, because God had told him. And it's because he put God first. Relief. We'll never have to go through that. When Harry, my, my son, was younger, he's 19 now, um, he had a hamster. Uh, we've got, got hamsters. I don't want to spoil anyone's fun. Have you got a hamster? 
Okay. They lived for about two years. I was worried that it was one that was about, you know, 23 months old. And it was going to get. They lived for about two years. We thought, that's all right. The kids don't like them. You know, we haven't got too much pain. Not like buying a dog, which they constantly ask for. And we think, well, they'll be leaving home at some point and we'll be, we'll be lumbered for 15 years. As much as we love dogs, you know, we like our lives as well. <laughs> um, anyway, at this hamster, he's getting ready to go to school in stock. He had his uniform on. He used to look quite cute in the uniform. I didn't like the stock school uniforms, red and white, which represents Arsenal. I really much preferred <laughs> Buttsbury, which is claret and blue, which is where he left, so I'm not sure what we did there. Um, but he was, I wanted him to get to school. I don't know where Andrew was. She was out somewhere. And he had the hamster, and then the hamster was on the floor. I said, put the hamster back in the cage, and he didn't answer me. And I couldn't see him. He had his back to me. And he's just standing there. I said, Harry, put the hamster back in the cage. He wouldn't work. And I said, Harry, come on, we've got to go. And he turned around and he's in tears. And I said, what's the matter? He said, it bit me. And that's why he wouldn't go and pick it up. He was afraid. And as a father on that small thing, I'm supposed to be there to protect him and nurture him. And in fact, I've made the situation worse. And so I rush over, I comfort him. And he was late to school, but it didn't seem to matter anymore. Couldn't imagine seeing my son suffer and not raising a finger to help. You know, I'm a Christian, um, I try and do a decent job at it. Try and forgive, try and love. You touch my son, we're enemies. You know, that's just the way it is. I probably will forgive at some point. So I can't imagine, I can't imagine any father not lifting a finger to help their son or their daughter. I've got an account of this conversationally. It mixes between the two, between Isaac and what Father God uh, does with Jesus, or what Jesus chooses to do for the Father God. And so it does mix, so you've got to concentrate a bit, but it's a narrative. helps us understand the anguish and the pain. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and what a test. Sacrifice your son, your only son, take him to a mountain and bind him and sacrifice him. Human sacrifice wasn't uncommon. Abraham had answered the call to obey God in the past and now he realised that this God was just like all the other gods and for some reason he needed human sacrifice. So he took his son and set out on a faithful journey. Can you imagine it? Early the next morning when he got up, the sinking feeling that he felt right in his guts, in the pit of his stomach, he was going to obey this God and kill his only son. This is unthinkable to us, and to him, well, he probably couldn't hardly move with grief. As he saddles the donkey, he thought of the past, all the good times they'd had. He'd seen him grow from a baby, heard his first words, seen him walk, and grow and grow. This was part of him, and today, his son was going to die. Think of his mother, how would she cope? hearing that her son had been sacrificed by her husband. Imagine him cutting the wood for the burnt offering, each stroke of the axe bringing pain. This was his son who was going to die. And each step of the journey to the mountain, did he think of turning back? Did he think of throwing it all in and going his own way? But he was constrained because he was trapped in the will of God, unable to depart from him, even with this horrible thing hanging over him. And then as his son spoke the words he had feared all along, it was just too much for him. Dad, where's the sacrifice? We've got everything but not the lamb for the sacrifice. Fire, wood, the knife, but... I wonder if Isaac suspected. Even 
If he didn't, the pain in Abraham's voice, the look on his face must have given something away. The words would have stuck in his throat. God will provide it. I wonder as Abraham arranged the wood if Isaac was looking around for the sacrifice. I wonder if Abraham was able to look into the face of his son as he tied him to the altar. Could he look into his eyes as he reached for the knife, as he lifted it in the air, as he paused, ready? Stop. You've passed the test. You fear God. You did not withhold your only son from me. One day God tested Abraham. And God did indeed provide. And because of it, all nations have been blessed. One day God tested Abraham. On another day, God tests himself. And what a test it was. Sacrifice your son, your only son. Take him to a hill, have him bound, and sacrifice him. Human sacrifice wasn't uncommon. The Romans were doing it all the time. Would he pass the test? Seems a barbaric thing to ask, but committed to righteousness and justice. His son sets out on the faithful journey. Can you imagine that? That last morning when he got up, the sinking feeling, what he felt, riding his guts in the pit of his stomach. He was going to do this and his son was to be killed. It's unthinkable to us and to him, well, the grief would have welled up in his mind. He watched it all from a high vantage point. As he appeared before Pilate and the chief priests, as he went from soldier to soldier, as he struck and spat upon, maybe he thought of all the things he had seen and he had planned. All the good times they'd had. He'd seen him grow from a baby, heard his first words, seen him walk and grow in the wisdom and stature of God. This Jesus was part of him. Yet today he was going to die. Think of his mother. How would she cope hearing that her son had been sacrificed? Imagine him. He had made the very tree, created it from his own hands. He had 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 seen it cut down and fashioned into a rough cross and all the time he thought about his son. And as he saw each step his son took on the way to the hill, did he think of calling it all off? Did he think of throwing it all in and letting these people go their own way? But he was constrained, trapped by his own love, unable to depart from his own plan. He had sworn by himself right back in Abraham's day, that all people would be blessed and now was the time to bless the nations. And he never broke a promise, even with this horrible thing hanging over him. We've got everything, but but not the sacrifice. We've got the cross, we've got the nails. We know that the son knew. We know that the son knew all along. But even then it must have stuck in the father's throat. I will provide the sacrifice. I wonder if the father could look as the crosses were laid on the ground ready for the victims. I wonder if Abraham was able to look into the face of his son as he is now to this altar. Could he look into his eyes as the hammer blows rained down, as the cross was about to be lifted up into the air, as he paused? Abraham heard the word stop, but now no one shouts stop. No one was there to say stop. No one was there and the cross is lifted up and this son and this father experienced the agony of separation. No one to say stop as they mocked him as he died. No one to say stop as they gave him wine vinegar. No one to say stop as those being crucified with him hurled insults at him. No one to say stop as he cried out. And now those words must have rung in the father's ears, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why, what sort of God are you? What sort of dad are you? But there was no one to say stop. And he died. 
God's passed his own test and he set himself. Kept his promise. Did not withhold his son from us. He passed the test. One day he tested himself. He did what he had never asked anyone else to do. He provided the sacrifice. The son was willing. And because of it, all nations have been blessed. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. Forgive me, Lord, whenever we come to this table and take it flippantly, or take communion lightly, when we hear the account of what it took, the bread, the wine representing the body and the blood, the anguish, the pain, the separation. It should never be rushed, it should be honoured. There's a solemnity about it, the seriousness of realising what God has done for us that all of us in this room can be invited to share in this meal, to confess and say, Jesus died for me. He died for me because someone had to. God said, don't take of the tree of knowledge or you will surely die. It's called the divine dilemma. He can't go back on his word, otherwise we can't trust him. But he provides the sacrifice. Someone does die to set me free. God provided the offering. The son chooses and is willing to go to the cross. And for me, the challenge in that, always, which is a constant challenge, is how I live my life out in response to those words. Um, One of the privileges of being a minister, but anyone can go, is to attend Remembrance Sunday. And uh, I get to stand at the front. Sometimes I have a part to play, sometimes I don't. And you can see the respect on everybody's faces. Thousands of people turn out. It's a good thing to remember. But it strikes me that all of the names, every single one of them, all of them, were younger than I am now. I've lived longer than all those names read out. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that every day is a gift. This is a day the Lord has made. We don't know what the future holds, but I don't want to take today lightly. I want to rejoice in this day because it's of God. And he paid for me to live this day and live for him in eternity. And, you know, I have to confess, sometimes I get annoyed at small things and then I get annoyed at myself for being annoyed at the small things because this is huge. This, when, you look at, when you listen to that account of Abraham and Isaac and then Jesus and the cross and then the, some of the things I think that I get wound up about, I think, what's the matter with you, Ian? This is everything. And sometimes I can struggle that there's a much bigger plan to God's purpose, yet I can get bogged down in trivialities. I can struggle that maybe sometimes my house, as much as I'd like to say it's built on rock, can come back to it again and again. Every now and again it's found on sand. And when something bad happens, it shifts a little bit and I have to get back to the foundation, the rock, the chief cornerstone, the one who holds it all together. I wrestle that life can sometimes appear negative when we have so much to be grateful for. Isaac didn't have a choice. Abraham took him up that mountain. He wasn't sure what was going on. Probably got it towards the end, I would imagine, once he strapped down on the, on the wood. But it's fair to say he was obedient to his father. Jesus chose the cross. Isaac didn't choose, but Jesus chose the cross. This wasn't some sort of um, cosmic child abuse. Jesus chose the cross. The son chose to go to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's wrestling, he's in anguish. Uh, If you ever see me when I go down the gym, avoid it, because I probably won't be able to speak, but I go really red in the face. 
Anyone else suffer from that? I mean, I go really red. You'll always know if I've been to the gym. And, it, and I've been to the doctors about it. He said, it's just, it's just normal, don't worry about it. Some people get it. And there's accounts of soldiers in the world wars going over the top and there are accounts of blood rushing to their face. And the, because you can imagine the stress. And because the blood rushes to their face, when they cry or sweat, it looks like sweating blood. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus had a choice, and he chose it for you. And that is an incredible privilege. And our only response, my response, is to say, Lord, whatever you throw at me, and believe me, we've been throwing things, whether it's family, um, or life things, or even church things, we have, we've had to say to our kids, look, this is not God's best. And I've had to choose God over them sometimes and say, no, I don't agree. And we stay in relationship. But the fact is, my only response is to say God and his word first. That's it. Because when I look at these accounts and I look at the account of Jesus going to the cross and what I've had to ask of him and he's given it to me, then there is nothing. I have to say God comes first, whatever situation. Jesus had a choice. He chose the cross for me and for you. I think we're going to sing that now and then I'll come to communion.